Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside a good friend of mine. I wanted to say regular co-host, but uh, he's just been a straight-up host uh, the last few weeks while I've been away. And I, like I said, the same thing with Frank yesterday. I'm pumped that we're actually here and can uh, record this podcast. We've just spent about half an hour. I think we've basically just done a warm-up to this podcast by talking everything that uh, has been going on with the Bucks in the last couple of weeks. But it is the host of the Bucks Radio Network, which I listened to a lot uh, as I was driving to work the last few weeks. Bucks Courtside Live, the ESPN post-game show. Uh, it's Justin Garcia. First of all, it's good to have you on the show. And secondly, uh, I have to give you a public thanks for uh, carrying the show the last few weeks and especially during, um, so let's just say some post-game shows that you probably didn't even want to do, but uh, <laughs> you pushed through and uh, much respect for that. No, I was... Uh, I was- telling you too it gives us all i think uh a much better appreciation of uh i mean just the amount of solo pods that you did especially over you know the summer and late spring when there was no basketball that i'm used to doing radio shows alone but you still have crutches built in like commercials and callers that you can go to and and just those two sitting there well the one i did with pratik but sitting there alone and like man, how, how does he do this? Because I am boring myself to death. I can't imagine what the audience has to feel like. Well, good, uh, good point bringing up Pratik there, who I have to get on this show a little bit more. Honestly, maybe one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life, but I was, I was very glad that he stayed well beyond midnight to uh, help you out with that show as well. But yeah, I always do that. I always do solo pods. I finish recording, I get it up, and I think no one's going to want to listen to me talk literally by myself for half an hour. But uh, you know, you, you'd be surprised. People do listen to him. I listened to you uh, when I was uh, driving home from work as well. So anyway, we're back. It's in the past. Well, and I, I would echo those uh, just real quick. I would echo those sentiments on Pratik as well. And I think the biggest selling point on that is, you know, he works in the morning and has an office job with <laughs> us as well. So he does double duty. And we probably recorded that thing at like 1.30 in the morning. And I remember just asking him, uh, you don't want to do this by any chance, do you? And just, yeah, all right, sure. Like, all right, great. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that sums up Pratik. I think there, as far as... The Bucks go. We'll dive into it because I've got a bit to get through here. Milwaukee will play Minnesota tomorrow. We'll talk about the Timberwolves. They've had a, a pretty rocky week themselves, so we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, first of all, the update on Drew Holiday. Uh, we discussed this yesterday, the fact that he was back on the bench. I think everyone was probably just thrilled to see him uh, back on the bench. We heard from the players a little bit post-game. They were excited to see Drew again because I think this is the... Yeah, perhaps the thing that's overlooked a little bit with this health and safety protocol and, and COVID uh, when players test positive and all these types of things is the fact that it's not like a normal injury where the guys will go into the practice center and still see 
Drew Holiday in there working out. I mean, he's away. He's banished from the team. He can't be around the squad at all. So it just genuinely seemed like they were excited to see him back. I know uh, for my own viewing experiences of watching the Bucks, I was excited to see him back because uh, I look forward to when he rejoins this team. And we'll talk a little bit about the numbers later on. But Drew Holiday listed as out for tomorrow's game and I don't profess to be an expert with the NBA health and safety protocols right now I'm not sure if there are any experts in that field but I would have to imagine the fact that he's back around the team is at least some kind of signal that he must be getting close even if we don't have a timeline and it feels like it might be more conditioning than than anything but uh, I guess we are guessing here I would think so, and I know Bud said that as well after the Kings game that uh, he he's getting close, and I think he even said, like, I, I got to be careful about how I say this or what else I can say, but he's getting close, and you, we were talking about before we started recording too, I was trying to figure out, you know, I guess we should have a better understanding of this, but I'm not very clear on the COVID protocols for the league. I mean, I, I just feel like it's around 12 days from your last positive test or showing signs of symptoms somewhere along there. And it's been like 14 ish days for drew. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting too. Once I agree that I think it's conditioning and I think that's kind of what we saw before with, he didn't test positive, but just with the injury with Tory Craig in where we did see him activated, but he wasn't playing that. I think it was more conditioning and, and learning the rest of the, the playbook and the system before, we saw him unveiled and put back in the rotation following those big games against the Lakers and the Nets. So I think it's, it's kind of the same for Drew, but I, I guess, you know, it, it's tough to say because as you pointed to, it's not an injury. So you can't not only be at practice and going through the drills and stuff, um, but you can't really say, well, this guy just needs to get out there and, and get his legs under him and, and get the conditioning back. Because I mean, think about some of the things that Jason Tatum has said, where, how COVID has impacted him and, and he still feels fatigued a lot quicker than he used to. And he says it's impacting his breathing. So it's tough to say because we're going to get to the point sooner or later where assuming Drew is good to go and he gets cleared and you're able to activate him, we're, we're going to be pretty close to the second half. So, I mean, I don't think either of us have a guess whether or not we'll see him again in the first half of the season. And we frankly shouldn't because of the ambiguity here and the Bucks haven't divulged anything and they don't have to and nor should they. So it's just tough. And we kind of went through the same things over the summer with Pat and uh, Eric Bledsoe where we knew they were in those protocols, but uh, we heard from them after the fact and they could talk about some of the things they've gone through. And that's, I think what's been the, the most strange thing is um, just the circumstances with this, that, you know, the Bucks fortunately were able to contain this to just Drew, which is amazing when you consider that, you know, when we found out about Drew being in the protocols, they were on the road. So it's not like you can really say, well, Drew was at practice and then he went at home and he was just around his family and wasn't around the teammates. I mean, he was on the plane trips and buses to the arenas and hotels and in the hotel with his teammates. So he was around them. So the fact that they were able to contain it to just one guy is really the biggest thing. And it it may be underscored here because, you know, you think about some of the other teams that have gone through this, like the Wizards and the Spurs recently. I mean, the Bucs could have very easily been facing that. Yeah, it's incredible to me. And again, without being an expert on what the rules are and how 
the NBA contact tracing is working. I have no idea how it was only Drew Holiday that was caught up on this, particularly because uh, for all we know or what we assume to know, and again, the Bucks have done a great job of protecting the privacy of the players, but uh, we think from some things we've heard, including Chris Middleton sort of suggesting that it was a positive test that he actually has or had the virus. So to me, for him to be in that situation and yeah, presumably... Uh, in, infectious then I, I don't know how no one else got caught up in this it's quite crazy to me but as far as the rest of the first half of the season goes uh, five games left for the Bucks. Uh, this is a, a part of this huge uh, homestand that they have so Minnesota tomorrow or today as you're listening to this podcast then they have the Pelicans a bit of a revenge game there um, I, I don't want to... We, we can talk about this game a little bit later on, but I'm telling you, if Bledsoe hits seven threes again, I, I might just absolutely lose it. Then they have the Clippers, which would be a really fun game to have Drew Holiday, particularly when you think about him potentially uh, switching on and defending a, a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George. That would be fun. Hopefully, uh, he would be back for that one, which is uh, Sunday night. And then they have Denver, uh, obviously a tough matchup. Then Memphis before uh, the end of the season there, that Memphis game. Uh, actually on the road. So, uh, you know, we'll see. It's it's a tight timeline now between uh, then and now, but we'll see. I, I think, you know, the big thing is you would love to see Drew come back just for uh, try and regain some of that continuity that the team had, particularly defensively. If you look at the numbers across the seven games that he's missed so far, Bucks have a 110 offensive rating, which is well down on where they've been all season. That ranks 17th in that time period. And the Bucks are actually now the second ranked offense in terms of efficiency they've slipped uh, behind the Clippers there and that's the first time uh, sorry the Brooklyn Nets and that's the first time the Bucks have really been out of first all season long and defensively they rank 17th in that time as well which you know the Bucks have had some defensive problems but I don't think it's a big surprise uh, that they've been struggling a little bit without Drew. Uh, I want to talk about Giannis uh, particularly in relation to the the minutes that he's playing before I do that, I want to talk about rockauto.com, which is the family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 plus years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Just go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you that's locked on in the how did you hear about us box amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new locked on today podcast peter bukowski hosts a breakdown of the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts uh, you'll catch me on there from time to time start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes subscribe to locked on today wherever you get your podcasts uh, the last little video grab i did for locked on today was regarding Giannis and his MVP candidacy, which I think in any normal season, he would be right up there and we would be talking about him as one of the primetime candidates to win the MVP award. As we've widely discussed, I don't think he's any chance of winning this award, basically because uh, I think the only guys to win three in a row, this is off the top of my head, I think it's like Larry Bird, Wilt, Bird, and yeah. maybe Bill Russell or something like that. I, I think those three are the guys. But Giannis's numbers 
are really skyrocketing and it's funny. I mean, we spoke early in the season about Giannis and just his uh, points totals and where uh, we think that he could get to this season and will he continue to lift that scoring average? Well, all of a sudden, after a few big games, he's up to 28.4 points per game on the season, 11.9 rebounds, six assists, getting you a block and a half and a steal and a half as well. Like MVP numbers, let's be real. But over the last seven games in particular, We've seen that go up even further, and I'm just pulling the uh, the tweet up here. Just this is this is bad podcast hosting, but I'm just buying myself some time here. But over the last seven games, 32 points, 14.6 rebounds, seven assists, 53% from the field, 74% from the free throw line. Uh, listen, he is in incredible form right now, and and honestly, at times the Bucks have needed him to carry them. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure it extends even further too, because I think it's. Um you know, ever since the the last two games against the Cavs. So basically once Drew Holiday went out of the lineup, he's been near 33 points a night, and um, he's shooting about 75% on free throws during that stretch too, which has been yeah. huge. But uh, the big thing was uh, I know I looked it up before one of these games. I think it was the first or second game against the Raptors, but he was scoring about 33 points a night. His scoring was up like four to five points in the absence of Drew Holiday, but uh, like 21 or 22 of those points were coming in the second half where (laughs) he was basically just carrying the team. And that was the problem that we saw um, in one of those Raptors games. And it was a couple of times where, you know, Giannis was basically scoring 45 to 50% of the Bucks points in the second half where, when they were playing really well to start things out there, it was because you're getting these big games from your bench and that bench was kind of starting to get whittled away when you put Drew uh, Brent Forbes into the starting lineup. And you think about the point production where we were talking about 35 to 40 a night. And most of that's coming from Brent Forbes and Bobby Portis. So when Brent was gone, that kind of changed things. And there were a few games too, where Dante and Brent and Bobby Portis even had big, first halves and that kind of tailed off. So that's where Giannis started to pick things up. But, um, you know, his point totals and and just everything, the rebounding too, that I think we talked about early in the year, his rebounding was down where there was this stretch of games where he wasn't even, you know, a a pretty decent stretch where he wasn't even pulling down double digit rebounds. And now those numbers have just started to skyrocket. And he was on that stretch of six straight games, which tied his career high of, 20 or more points and 10 or more boards and five or more assists. Um, and that's the longest streak in the NBA this season, which is really kind of amazing when you think about the season that Nikola Jokic has had, that he hasn't had a longer streak of that than six games by Giannis. So he's, uh, he's looking every bit the part he did the last two years. But, you know, like you said, and we've all talked about before, there is going to be voter fatigue. So he could put up 35 points and 20 rebounds a night, and he's still probably not going to win the MVP award. But um, I think his play in the last two weeks has been the most encouraging for the Bucks. that he is seemingly starting to get better and better and more comfortable in this uh, offense with some of the minor changes that they've made. And certainly his facilitating is something that's jumped out. But uh, just the fact that he's stepped up in some big moments, and I know we can point to missing the shot against the Suns, but as we talked about, I mean, he, he attacked there and he looked very comfortable but his scoring in the second half and just the free throw shooting and the amount of times he's getting to the line now um, and the percentage that he's hitting them at, that I think it's around 74% that he's hitting free throws. That's 
what stood out the most to me, and you know, as, as we kind of talked through the Drew Holiday thing, that's I think what leaves me most encouraged for this team moving into the second half is they're only going to get better because of the continuity things. But also, Giannis is, is starting to look like his old self here. Not that he was off to a bad start, but Giannis is starting to look like that. And you kind of touched on it when you were mentioning Drew, but I mean, I really think it's offense that has missed Drew Holiday more so than the defense. As, as good as Drew Holiday is defensively, we can point to a number of things offensively. And you mentioned the, the offensive rating and, and how down that's been without him. I think a big reason for the offensive rating drop-off is Drew Holiday, and their offensive rebounding is down. Their fast break points are down. Uh, their points in the paint are down, and those are all things that you kind of take for granted that Drew Holiday brings to the team. So once he gets back in the mix and with Giannis continuing to play at this level, that's, that's really encouraging for the offense, which, I mean, frankly, didn't have that much worry, but it's, it's encouraging as they move into the second half. Yeah, no question, and I think certainly the game – the games against Toronto, and I, I briefly touched on this on the podcast over the weekend, but I think that's where we saw the off- offense, particularly in the half court, struggle because the Raptors did a great job of containing the Bucks in transition. So it got into a half court basketball game. And, you know, again, for all the criticisms or uh, you know, question marks we had over Eric Bledsoe, if you were missing a, a key player from the lineup last year, but you still had Eric Bledsoe, at least you had someone that could penetrate and move the defense a little bit. And the Bucks just didn't have that without Drew Holiday out there. And I think ultimately uh, that's why they moved DJ Augustine into the starting lineup. And and look, you know, that's that's not <laughs> that's not going crazy here. It's not that Augustine has has been fantastic or out of this world since coming into the starting lineup. But I think having a true point guard uh, helped there and certainly frees up Giannis and frees up Chris and these other guys to be able to go to work. Because basically any time you get a one-on-one situation with Giannis or Chris, you feel comfortable uh, that they're going to be able to at least get a good shot. Uh, out of those numbers that I, I read out with Giannis, you mentioned the free throw attempts. So 13 free throw attempts per game uh, is obviously a big number and that's bumped up a little bit by the 24 he had against the Kings. But perhaps the number I love the most is 36.6 minutes per game. Now, the Bucks clearly have been going through some struggles and, and you know, not the usual blowouts that we see where Giannis ends up sitting on the bench for the last five or six minutes, as we've seen so often over the course of the last couple of seasons. But this was one of the easiest adjustments for Bud to make coming into the season. We all wanted it. We all criticized him in the postseason last year. And to his credit, he came into the season this year saying, I'm going to play these guys more. To Giannis's credit, he was the one that initiated a lot of those conversations, which is what Bud uh, has revealed to us. His minutes are up to 33.8 per game on the season, which uh, is the most by far that he's had uh, under Bud. And uh, as I mentioned, up to 36.6 over the last seven. It puts yourself in an interesting position, and this is the catch-22 with this, that it's like, okay, maybe you know, Giannis is going to be playing in some moments, in some games where you think, eh, I could probably sit him here and feel more comfortable that something's not going to go wrong. He's not going to turn an ankle or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, I do think we are seeing Giannis later in the fourth quarter not looking as exhausted as we've seen him in the past because certainly in some of those playoff games, I remember looking at Giannis in the second quarter or early in the second half and thinking... I don't even know how much he's got left in the tank. This man just looks absolutely exhausted right now. And it was kind of alarming to see uh, that the conditioning was where it was. And we know the level he plays at with the intensity he plays at 
But I think you just got to have him more prepared to play 38, 39, 40 minutes in the postseason because if there's one thing we've learned about this team so far as it's currently constructed, the depth isn't there and they're going to have to lean on Chris Drew and Giannis to play those 40 minutes in the postseason. Yeah, and um, I mean, that was, I guess, by design too when you go out and get Drew Holiday that you're basically saying, all right, we're, we're comfortable with, with moving away from some of our depth to upgrade the starting five because we're going to ride the starters. And we... We didn't see it quite as much early, but then we started to see it uh, once we got past that first road trip. And I, I have to assume it was probably a conditioning thing is the reason why. And, you know, the first example you gave, too, of seeing Giannis out there a little later in games that are pretty comfortable or, or in hand for the Bucks. I mean, I think we definitely saw that against the Kings where numerous times – I remember looking out there on the floor in the fourth quarter and thinking, when are they going to pull him? Because this game's over. And, you know, there's six minutes left and there's four minutes left. And I think he finally got pulled with around two and a half minutes left. And the game was out of reach. That We're seeing more and more of that. And, you know, I know the more we started to see it, the more we all were kind of surprised but pleasantly surprised. Um, But I think Bud has talked about this before too in that, you know, you just have to do it. That um, the I can't remember if it was the Blazers game or the Pacers game, but one of the two where the Bucks had blow-up victories in both of those. And again, we saw the starters all the way in there until virtually the end of the game. And that was one of the games where Bud talked about it as well, that the reasoning was, you know, we're going to play these guys more, and we know we have to do that in the postseason, but you can't just go from zero to 60. That, you know, the conditioning that you talked about being an issue for Giannis – I mean, for that reason and more, you can't just say, okay, now it's the playoffs, so you're going to play 40 minutes. Like, you got to work up to it, and you're going to have to gradually play them more and more throughout the season. And really, since those uh, wins against the Cavs where um, – or actually, it was before that. It, it, so it was the Blazers game where he was pulled a little early, and that Pacers game, kind of the same thing, where the Bucks just blew through those opponents. Since those games – the minute totals, I mean, the lowest he's had was 31. But other than that, it's consistently – I mean, you, you gave the 36 average, but we've seen 37. I think there was a 38 in there as well that it's consistently been in that range for him. Fourth quarter minutes, just as a, a few more numbers here, uh, are interesting to look at as well. And kind of what you pointed to in regards to uh, some games he's just playing later, but also perhaps fewer blowouts. And the Bucks are losing more games where they're trying to come back late. Uh, so – now, whether this is the, you know, fully Bud unleashing Giannis and preparing him for the postseason or some of its circumstance, I think it's probably a little bit of both. But fourth quarter minutes this season up to 8.4 per game, uh, which was at 7.5 last year. And just it's interesting to look at the free throw percentage because when I looked this up, I was curious to know. I've always thought, and we, I mean, we hypothesize everything in regards to Giannis's free throw shooting. I think a lot of the time we think it's more mental than physical, but you know, if, if fatigue is a factor and you don't, or you aren't conditioned to play extended minutes, then maybe you'll see that in the fourth quarter free throw percentage. It was at 57% last year, which is obviously uh, awful. It's at 62% so far this year, which isn't too far away from his average. Obviously recently he's had uh, the hot uh, start there as well. Uh, we can keep talking about Giannis, but before I do that, I want to talk about betonline.ag, uh, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action because 
uh, football might be over, even though uh, I seem to see a lot of JJ Watt on my timeline right now. But anyway, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Uh, Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Uh, don't watch much reality TV, but I uh, suppose you could probably bet on The Bachelor or something like that. I'm not uh, not 100% sure, but real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. February is Black History Month and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called More Than a Game. Right now, you can hear Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. Subscribe to Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, a final note on Giannis here, and I'm not surprised. I had some other stuff we were going to get into that I just don't think we'll uh, have time for today. But the other thing that's really interesting with Giannis uh, to keep an eye on as the season rolls on, for me anyway, is the foul situation with Giannis. Uh, there's been five games this year where Giannis has had at least five fouls. He fouled out against, against Toronto last week and also in the game against the Lakers and you know, at that point, it felt more like frustration than, you know, really a game that was in the balance. And we've seen that in the past where the Bucks have had to uh, have critical stretches without Giannis because he's fouled out. I, I think that the big factor here or the big positive, if you're looking at Giannis, certainly over the last, uh, I want to say almost month, but certainly the last few weeks, uh, we've always been talking about the patience here on the show, certainly recently. But I think we're seeing the offensive fouls cut down. And I, I think that this is significant. I think it's going to be huge for the Bucks in the playoffs because part of the reason also that I've had some concerns with Giannis playing huge minutes and just being worried that he's not going to be able to, aside from conditioning, is the fact that he, he hasn't been able to play without fouling. And in, yeah. certainly in playoff situations, we've seen him get a little impatient, gets called for those two or three offensive fouls per game, and it just puts you in a really perilous position. Well, and uh, what have we seen? I think twice this year that he's fouled out, if that. Um, yeah. And I think it was, what, five or six last year. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen – I think it, the big things with him were always the offensive fouls, and it would always seem like they came in bunches, that he would go games without getting them, and then whether it was just a team that's constructed and knows, hey, all we got to do is this, and, and we'll get to draw offensive fouls against him, they – they seemed to really come in groups when he would get them. It was that, and it was those really dumb, for lack of a better word, frustration, frustration fouls. fouls. Yeah. yeah, that we would see in the backcourt a lot of times. And I don't remember seeing a lot of those this season. And I think, you know, in terms of the offensive end, the, the thing that certainly helps you the most is surrounding him with shooters and guys that are more consistently knocking down those shots this year, like Brent Forbes and like the shooting of Dante. Uh, started the season is, is and has started to pick up a little bit as well. Even Pat Connaughton, that that helps. Where Giannis, you know, knows okay, I have these guys, and he's talked about it numerous times with us after games that he has that confidence. And I think it, it, I really go back to that first loss to the Raptors, where we really saw the aggressive trapping and double teams that they were using, 
and he was talking about maturity and you know um he feels more comfortable seeing that stuff but also he thinks his growth and his largest growth has come from knowing I can't do this on my own. And I know he's even used the verbiage of trying to go through guys and he's learned, I can't do that anymore. And my growth and my maturity is realizing I have teammates and I trust them and I'm going to give them the ball and put them in those spots. And uh, he brought that up after the Raptors game and mentioned he and Chris having that. So I think having those shooters there has been huge for him avoiding those offensive fouls and he no longer feels like I got to get us some points here and I just got to get to the basket any way I can that when he sees that wall he's more apt to kick it out for a pass this year and I think that's been noticeable and just overall like we both touched on the lack of those frustration fouls where you think why are you why are you picking up a foul there in your own backcourt you know two seconds into the shot clock like why are you wasting a foul there we can maybe count you know not even you don't even need a full hand to count the amount of times we've seen that this year. And I think that's been huge. The minutes thing too, that you brought up. um, So I think I've referenced before all of the various spreadsheets that I keep every year on the bucks numbers. And um, as you were bringing up his fourth quarter minutes, I remember thinking, you know, I could have sworn I did something here on Giannis's fourth quarter numbers last year. And I did. And looking through these minute logs and production that he had in the fourth quarter, I mean, he was actually, which I think people forget, he was actually playing a decent amount of minutes in the fourth quarter, seemingly up until that game in Paris against the Hornets, because that was a stretch of four games where he played, I think, a total of five minutes in the fourth (laughs) quarter. There was two straight games where he didn't play at all and then very limited usage. And from that point until basically the season was shut down, that's kind of what we saw, where he didn't play a whole lot of minutes in the fourth quarter. And I think that's why it seemingly was most amplified in the bubble because he went from that to all of a sudden it turned out a dime to once the bubble started, it was the opposite where he was playing basically 10 minutes or more or the full quarter in the fourth quarter. And he needed to. And again, yeah, you know, that's, that's why the numbers this year, when you look, I mean, the Bucks are losing more games, there's more games. They're trying to come back. Uh, there's less, uh, I guess, uh, rope in terms of giving him um, some time to rest when you are trying to win the game. As far as the standings go, and we'll look to, to wrap this up here, but the Bucks currently 18 and 13, third in the East. Uh, the East standings are a bit of a mess at the moment, as we know. There's, uh, you know, it looked uh, probably a week ago like the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks were starting to pull away. That's not really the case anymore. The closing pack is really right there. And even a team like Toronto now are up into the fifth seed. And I've spoken about this a lot. I mean, you would love to try and get a top two seed. I've probably been more than anyone not caring too much about the results rather than looking at what the Bucks are doing and how they're playing and how they are preparing themselves. But I will say this, when you have a team like Minnesota on the schedule, you've you got to take care of business because I do think getting a top two seed is going to be pretty critical because any 3-6 matchup this year, I mean, chances are you're going to get one of uh, the Pacers, the Raptors, the Celtics, or even the Heat are starting to to make a bit of a move as well. And and let's be honest, I mean that's a that's a scary first round matchup, particularly if it's Toronto. I mean we know the struggles the Bucks have there. So uh, look, I, I think you want to keep winning these games. The interesting thing with Minnesota, who currently hold uh, the worst record in the NBA at seven and twenty four, uh, they get the new coach bump. It's terrifying. You never want to play a team that's getting a new coach uh, and their first appearance because they always win. They always win that game. That's just the way it works. So uh, kind of a, a, a trap game, a scary game, whatever you want to call it here. But Chris Finch, uh, I know 
uh, he become has become one of those uh, internet darling coaches that everyone loves, even though I, I really question how much the people that are really mad about, oh, Chris Finch has gone to the Timberwolves. And I'm like, well, how much do you actually know about him? Because I'm not going to come out here and say that I'm an expert on Chris Finch. What I will say is that he has been highly, highly regarded and I've never heard anything bad about his coaching. But uh, I personally can't get furious about the fact that Chris Finch isn't going to be coaching the Bucks because I don't know too much about him. And I'm not sure how much everyone else <laughs> knows uh, about him either. But certainly on the surface, seems like a nice hire for the Wolves. Well, and I, I think we've talked about it before too. And that's, that's my... Um... That's the thing too with uh, with assistant coaches in the NBA is um, I'm not even going to venture a guess as to who's good or, you know, I know we've talked about it with some Bucks assistants before and that's, we, we have a better understanding of those guys because we hear the players talk about what they work on with the coaches. But, uh, you know, the NBA is more difficult than uh, college football or the NFL because, or even Major League Baseball where you know like, okay, this guy – is the pitching coach and this team had a pretty good pitching staff or in football, like this guy calls the offensive plays or this guy works for the quarterbacks in basketball. We don't know, like unless you're there in practice, which none of us are this year, or unless a player specifically talks to you about a coach, you have no idea which coaches do what, whether it's the defensive principles or, Hey, we started running these things on offense. And that was because, you know, Darvin Ham worked on this with us. So it's always funny when you hear people latch on to, the same few names that always come up every offseason. And for the last two years, Chris Finch was that name that everybody mentions. And, you know, it's just like every other sport. Or more often than not, if, uh, if you're a younger coach or if you're a part of a staff that has been a winning staff for years, then all of a sudden you're the guy. And it's, well, this guy's the next in line. And, you know, we saw it even for brief periods. I mean, Taylor Jenkins was in that mix and Darvin Ham. So it, it, the, the long story short is, who knows that everybody has said, hey, this guy's a good coach, but we don't know because we have no idea what he's been responsible for. And, and uh, what, Joe Prunty's first game with the Bucks that was the Suns game, wasn't it? So the, the Bucks won that game with uh, Joe Prunty's first as the interim coach of the Bucs. Of course Bucks. they won. Of course they won. That's, that's what happens. But, you know, to, to your point as we, as we wrap this up, it's, it's, it does come down to talent on the team as well. And Nick Nurse clearly has been proven as a very, very intelligent coach, a coach that's willing to try different things and innovator. And I think more than anything in today's NBA, that's the type of guy you need. So I understand why there's so much criticism of Bud. But also, I don't think Nick Nurse would have or would be the coach he is or seen as the genius he is if he went to the Knicks instead of the Raptors. He picked up a really right. talented team and he took them right. to the next level. And that's why I think the sentiment is that if the Bucks were able to get a guy like that, which is obviously the dream scenario, then the talent is with the, the talent is here with the Bucks that you could potentially take them to the next step. So I totally understand that. I just have concerns for Chris Finch going to Minnesota. I mean, is he going to be able to turn around the worst team in basketball or is he all of a sudden going to get the overrated tag because he can't be a miracle worker and make this team fantastic? I think that's, that's the difficult situation with coaches as well. As smart as you are, the best coaches always coach the best teams, but there's also the hell of a lot of talent on those rosters. That's, that's the well, way it works. Were you, uh, were you in Milwaukee when the Bucks, uh, that eight, what was that, the 17-18 season? Were you in here? When they made that coaching change? No, I, I wasn't in Milwaukee, but I did a uh, I covered a West Coast trip the Bucks had okay. that year when Pronti was there, and then I, I did cover the 
the, the Celtics uh, Bucks the the first round series. Yeah, yeah. but I wasn't that, there when uh, when when Kid went down. I wasn't there. That uh, that whole day is still one of the more bizarre and memorable days that I have uh, <laughs> that I've had. Like obviously inside the Bradley Center, and uh, just in the what five or six years that I've done the job uh, on the Bucks Radio Network of just uh, I mean they're. We don't have time to get to it now, but there are just so many stories from that day and how it unfolded. And I remember leaving the impromptu press conference where we were told one thing and then um, running into Mark Lassery, or uh, no, I'm sorry, Wes Edens, running into him in the hallway of the Bradley Center after the press conference ended. And it was just him and me and him and realizing, you know what, I bet I can get an exclusive here. And talking to him for 10 minutes and asking him some of the things that uh, John Horst and company just talked about and hearing a different response where that was uh, one of the more bizarre days. Yes, I, I have actually reached out. I tried to get Jason Kidd on the podcast during the break. Uh, funnily enough, he didn't want to talk bucks. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was shocking to me that, uh, that he didn't want to come on. But speaking of Jason Kidd and the Lakers, it, it is interesting because, you know, I, I, we've spoke about the bucks and clearly they've had their struggles and, and, you know, without true holiday, things change. Well, the Lakers right now have already lost two games in a row and they're losing to the Wizards at home with a few minutes yeah. left. They'll probably come out and win that game there. But uh, it just goes to show. Strange season, strange results when you're missing the key player. Uh, who knows uh, what can happen? The Bucks, well, he will... Well, and the last thing is, as you mentioned, the standings too. The weird thing about this year is I don't really know what the best case scenario is for the Bucks, And I'm with you where you want to finish within the top. I mean, I think they're going to finish within the top three and the top two would be nice, but you know, we know you're going to have to get through two of these teams to get to the finals as it is. But <laughs> if you're the two or three seed, you're playing Philly or Brooklyn in the second round. So uh, if you're the one seed though, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but if you're the one seed, I mean, it could be, uh, what if you draw Miami in the first round? That it is just seemingly full of landmines for all teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, no question. I mean, the one team that, that honestly terrifies me above everyone is Brooklyn in the playoff series. Everyone else, uh, I think the Bucks could could find a way. But uh, like I said, a, a scary game tomorrow or well, today. The Timberwolves six thirty tip, so everyone will be uh, everyone. Or oh, is it seven? Might be seven it's o'clock. A seven. Yeah. Well, everyone will still be happy about that. It's better than eight p.m. Uh, for the local start. Perhaps no one more happier than you, Justin. But uh, listen, this was good to catch up. We've probably ran a little bit long, but hey, we haven't hung out for a while. Yeah, I mean, seven is going to be great, especially when you consider their um, second game of the week is an eight thirty tip against the New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I didn't even realize that. Well, anyway, we'll catch up on some sleep tonight then because uh, it's going to be a few late nights coming up. Uh, enjoy the game. We'll be back post-game uh, for Bucks and Timberwolves. Milwaukee looking for a third straight win. We'll catch you guys then. <laughs>